Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Time. There's nothing more valuable. It's what drives everyone to make the most of every moment. We celebrate living large in the now. In a city where time disappears, we create experiences that electrify the soul and memories that will last forever. We go big, we go all night, and here, everyone is invited. So get loose and get loud. This is Circa. You'll have the time of your life. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Hello and welcome to the Arash Markazi Show presented by the Sporting Tribune on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California, 98.5 The Fan in Las Vegas, the Hawaii Sports Radio Network and the Sports Map Radio Network. It is Legends of Sport Friday, joined by my good friend, it's Andy Bernstein. Hey Andy, how are you? I'm great, Arash. Always thrilled to be on with you on Legends of Sport Friday, my friend. Yes, and uh, this is a very special one for the both of us. Listen, I mean, I mean, how I became familiar with your work is the Showtime Lakers, and and for me, it was the back half of the Showtime Lakers with Byron Scott, uh, just uh, one of my favorite players of all time. Number four, uh, he is your guest this week. I mean, talk about what the great fans can expect from this conversation. Well, you know, Byron, obviously one of the great Laker legends of all time. Um, I personally feel that his number four should be hanging there um, next to everybody else's at Crypto.com Arena. But that's just my opinion. Um, You know, I I was so thrilled to be able to get an hour to speak to Byron Um, shortly after he and I both attended the uh, Showtime reunion in Maui that Magic Johnson and Pat Riley invited all of us to. And we had a lot of laughs. We had a lot of great memories um, from back in the day, but also from that reunion. And, uh, you know, Byron, amazing guy. I mean, three-time NBA champion during the Showtime Laker era, NBA coach of the year. Um, One of the only guys to, well, he is actually the only guy to play with Kobe and coach against Kobe and coach Kobe himself as a Laker. So, you know, we had a lot to talk about, um, about the Mamba and his remembrances and great memories of Kobe. And it's just a, a wonderful conversation. You know, Byron's doing so much these days with um, his charitable foundation, uh, the company that his wife, he and his wife started, Three Points Brand, and his podcast, um, the Off the Dribble podcast. So, you know, Tough catching up with him, I got to tell you. But once we got him, he was terrific. You touched on it, and this was something that I I think we will touch on a lot during the course of our uh, time together. This reunion in Hawaii, looking looking at the pictures of it, it Mm. was all of the Showtime Lakers. And again, as we know, the Dr. Bus loved Hawaii. The the team had many training camps out there. We're on the air live in Hawaii as well. What was that like? What was it like to catch up with all those players and also the coaches as well well you know it's cliche to say it was magical but it was truly a magical experience i mean there were i think about 45 members of um the championship era of of the lakers in the 80s so if you had won a championship if you've been part of even one 
championship during the 80s, you were invited to that incredible reunion. Of course, there were guys there who won five championships. Uh, Byron Scott was there. I mean, I'm sorry, Magic was there. You know, Pat Riley, of course, was there. Kareem was there. Um, and then to see those guys go out and uh, actually, quote unquote, practice, which <laughs> they called a, you know, sort of a walkthrough of a practice, um, was was mind blowing. I mean, it was like the most incredible experience. I think it's one of the top three incredible experiences in my photography career was to see these guys out there again, reliving, you know, memories of running plays and. You know, Kareem's out there, 75 years old, shooting skyhooks. Byron is drilling three-pointers. You know, Magic's running the break. Um, I don't want to say he's running the break, but he was <laughs> he was quickly walking the break. You know, Pat Riley's out there, you know, giving instructions to everybody. And uh, Gary Vitti is trying to keep these guys from killing themselves. <laughs> it was such an incredible experience and a great dinner every night. Um just to be together as a group again, uh, I'm sure I know that it was just so heartwarming for them. And it was for me because I was part of that era. I am so thrilled now to uh, play this first part of this podcast. And again, so thrilled, by the way, you mentioned it, but Byron has a podcast. Michael Cooper has a podcast. You has a podcast. I yeah. get to relive my youth every single week. But now let's play the first part of your podcast. It's Legends of Sport Friday. It's Andy Bernstein. It's Byron Scott. You can't beat this combo, folks. He came up to me one day, Andy, and he said, B, I'm thinking about putting a Showtime reunion together. What do you think? And I said, man, I think that would be great, Buck. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, this was right before this. This was being planned before the pandemic ever mm -hmm. hit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, every day that we would see each other, he would kind of give me an update on guys that he's got in contact with. You know, he was like, man, I got in contact with Mike Schmreck. <laughs> excited chuck nevitz all these guys he said i need you me to call you know three or four of these guys because I, I don't have their info and i said well yeah i got i got a couple of those guys so i'll, I'll yeah. reach out to them yeah. so that's how i basically got started you know he just asked me what did i think about it and i told him i thought it would be an unbelievable idea and then the pandemic hit and you know we had to obviously postponed it but mm -hmm. uh you know going into this year i remember him talking about you know we, we're uh, we're still talking about doing it i was like cool and uh, September came, and man, you know, everybody's there. The rest is history, as you know, because you were there. You were part of that Showtime family, and it was great seeing everybody. Well, I got to tell you, man, I, you know, I kept pinching myself that whole week because, first of all, I was thrilled and humbled and honored to be invited. And, uh, you know, of course, I brought my camera with me, you know, because yeah, yeah. somebody, somebody had to document it, and I'm glad I did. Um but, you know, come. I've heard Magic talk about this. Um, you know, I watched the, the special that was on uh, Spectrum, which was great. Mm -hmm. um, but from your perspective, when you're there and you're seeing all these guys and it's 35 years later or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, does it all come flooding back? Do you start remembering like certain things or moments or just that it, that like internal feeling of like what it was like to be a brotherhood, a group of you guys together? All, all of those above, Andy. I mean, you know, yeah. um, the first night that I got there, because I ended up being, you know, one day later because I, you know, had played in a golf tournament in right. in New York with my boy Victor Green uh, uh, for his foundation. So I ended up getting there Tuesday instead of Monday. So when I got there, 
the first person that I saw was Rouse. You know, I went into the ballroom because my wife was, you know, worried about me not eating on the plane and all that. <laughs> and it was a long trip. You know, I was coming from New York. Sure. So that's a long day. Yeah. And so I went in the ballroom and of course Rouse being Rouse was in there getting ready for tonight, you know, getting the film session ready and all that. So I got a chance to see Rouse first. And, you know, as soon as I saw him, it just brought back nothing but the 80s memories. And yeah. It's pretty much with everybody, even the guys I didn't play with. Yeah. Or the guys I knew but never got a chance to play with. You know, Clay Johnson was there my rookie year and then he was gone. Jim Jones, you know, guys I didn't play with. Uh, and, and it was just so good to see them guys because I, I, I know them, you know, but it was just so good to interact with them and, and share some of our experiences and share some of the stories. Hmm. Like you said, it, it, it really did feel like I was back in my 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 mid to late 20s. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it yeah. Like good seeing everybody and the camaraderie that we have and the love that we have for, for one another. It just brought back all kind of great memories and. Kind of like you said, you pinched yourself every every night. Mm-hmm. I, I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would just feel myself smiling, you know, and, and it was just one of those smiles that, man, this is unbelievable. This is great to be here. And that and it lasted the whole week. So it was just an unbelievable experience. Yeah. I mean, they could have had this thing in like Omaha or, you know, it didn't matter, it didn't matter right? But we <laughs> happened to be at Maui at the Four Seasons. So that wasn't so bad. Yeah, so, B, let's talk about when you guys went to the gym. Right. And you're all wearing your shirts and you're all out there and you're all stretching. Um, Gary Vitti's leading this, you know, the stretch in the circle. Riley's pacing back and forth like he used to. I mean, it was to me and I, I was looking at the faces of, of the wives and, and all the other staff people who were watching. Everybody was like had their mouths open. You know, it's like, are we like like reliving history? This is unbelievable. And of course, you know, you're the only one who I think hit a shot the entire practice. But that's a whole other story. No, I know McAdoo did as well. But to see um, to see Kareem out there at 75 years old shooting sky hooks yeah i mean there's very few times in my career where you know i was tasked to photograph something where i really wish i just could have watched it you know but i was watching it through the camera it was it was so incredible and his speech as well yeah yeah Yeah. cap cap is so inspirational man as you know he he is one of the smartest dudes i've ever been around Mm -hmm. uh he understands the history of this game. He understands the magnitude that we had in the 80s and what we were able to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Uh, for him to get up there and speak, you know, that, that speech before we you know, all went to stretch and get ready for what we call a real walkthrough. <laughs> no more running. Right. Uh, I thought it was just, it, it was fitting. Yeah. For him yeah. to do that. And then, like you said, just to see him out there on the court, man. Yeah. It just, I think all of us, you know, we were reliving our youth. You know, yeah. we, we couldn't move as fast and all that stuff and jump as high. But it was just it was just one of those things when we when we did it, we went back to the room or back to the bus. We told some more stories on the <laughs> bus and then we got to the room. You know, you get ready for dinner that night and you just remember how great that feeling was to be out there. And I was kind of like James. James, like yeah. at one point, he was like, man, I, I thought we had a game or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that old mindset that like. But Muscle memory kicked in, right? Absolutely. Oh, to see the captain there and to see how happy he was to be there, man. That that was probably one of the most joyful times for me mm-hmm. being being around Cap because I know he was having a ball and that made me feel good. 
Oh, amazing. Then Jeffrey Osborne, you're like concert, give me a break. And it was incredible. Um, and then, of course, the trash talking didn't stop the entire week. Whether you guys are playing dominoes, you're on the golf course, yeah. you know, you're on the court, yeah. dinner, you know, that was that was just so special, and yeah. it just brings imagine, you back. Imagine you know. playing spades with Eddie Jordan and they're, they're talking <laughs> smack, you know, and yeah, it, it was it was again, it was just all of us doing what we normally do. Yeah, yeah. You know, we was with each other way back in the day. We just a lot older, but man, that yeah, yeah. that vibe was still there, you yeah. know. The, the the mind was still there you know mm-hmm. it's just the bodies can't move like it used to yeah you know magic spoke very eloquently when we were there about there's no other team no other organization that could have done this right or could do this i mean i can't think of any you know i i don't see the bulls doing this even you know they won six but you know i think i think it, how do you put that into words like how do you quantify that? You know, what, what is special about this group, this 10 year group of Lakers? I think, you know, what, what Dr. Buss tried to establish from the get go was a family, you know, type of organization. And, and I think everybody that put that purple and gold on in the eighties that won a championship, he looked at them as family and that's how we kind of treat each other, you know? And mm-hmm. I think that's the best word I could use. Andy is family. We, we had our, as you know, back in the days, our, our in-house fighting and stuff like that. <laughs> but when we got out of there and we went on that court, we were always united. Mm-hmm. So Played for one common cause. That's championships. Right. And so I, I love the fact that even to this day, we all still genuinely love each other. And, and we want each other to do well. Mm-hmm. And it, it comes from the top. You know, it came from Dr. Buss, you know, to Jerry West to Pat mm-hmm. Riley and then our, our leaders, Magic and Kareem, you know, and it just trickled down to everybody else. So yeah. it, it wasn't it wasn't um, shocking to me after 30 something years to see us all come together and have as much fun as we had. But if you look at organizations, they're not connected like that. Mm-hmm. The Bulls, the, the Celtics, you know, all those teams, mm-hmm. uh, they're not connected like that. I, I think we're the only organization that could have pulled off something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were able to do it. And we probably we, we won't be the last. I'm sure there's going to be other teams because it's a copycat lead. So there's sure. going to be some other teams that's going to do it as well. But you know, we've always been kind of that that trendsetter, and and yeah. that's yeah. It, and it's so it's so such a blessing to me to like I said that night when I got there. I said this is just such a blessing to be in front of everybody here and be able to talk and have fun and and yeah. be us. Yeah, you know it's so interesting that that. You know, everybody who was there eventually left the Lakers in one way or the other. Right. Um, you know, Riley, of course, went on to New York and then Miami, and and he's working, still working for Miami. You know, right, right. you left, you came back. I mean, everybody, you know, but yet you remember where your family is. You know, you remember where home is. You know, I go home to Brooklyn. I haven't lived in that house in 40 years, but I still go by it. Still feel like I kind of live there, you know? Right, right. <laughs> You know what the, your room looked like in the living room and everything else now. I could probably draw if I knew how to draw. I could probably draw that out. Um, so, we got a question for you, man. Um, now that we're you know seasoned, a little bit older, when when you were going through Showtime and you were winning your championships, I don't know what the right terminology is. But I've been trying to figure out how to ask you this, but you know, living in the moment, Phil Jackson used to always talk about being in the moment, you know, and all that. I mean, were you taking it in at that point? Were you like, man, I'm in Boston Garden. I'm beating the crap out of the Celtics. You know, it's like, we're going to win a championship on right, the parquet right. floor. I mean, or does all that just kind of happen 
later, years later, because for me, I got to tell you my, my thing, I'm just there doing my job. And then I either collapse later or <laughs> thank God we got sports center so I can like relive it, you know? Right. Yeah. How did, how was it in the moment for you? I, I never, I never really fully understood living it in, you know, living in the moment, you know, mm -hmm. because you're trying to get a job done. So for me, it, it, it hit me, you know, years later on winning those championships and what it meant uh, mm -hmm. and how rare it is. You know, I, I never, you know, when we won, you know, in 85, mm -hmm. first team, first Laker team ever to beat the Celtics in a seven game series. And we did it on the parquet floor. That was the one thing I do remember is that I, I was so happy when my dad took me to the airport game, going into game six, we up three, two. And my dad, who, who's unbelievable. He, he was like, so what do you think? I said, Oh, we win this in six. Yeah. You know? And he was like, Oh, okay. And, and it's funny. Cause when I came home and he was like, you, you said that so emphatically that you were so sure. He mm -hmm. said, I swear. I thought it was going to go seven. Yeah. But the way you said it, you were so confident. So I said, yeah, dad, I, I just knew we had them. Mm -hmm. you know? But I never looked back and said, man, we, we beat him on the parquet floor. It, it took me years, Andy, before I started reliving uh, some of the things that we were able to accomplish. And then, you know, I, I think the good thing about that is then I really, really started to appreciate it that much more mm -hmm. as I got older on some of the things we were able to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible, man. Um but you've been around and played with against uh, some of the greats of all time. I mean, you used to have to guard Michael Jordan. You know, <laughs> you played next to Magic Johnson, James Worthy, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Then you get to be a teammate with a young guy named Kobe Bryant, eighteen years old, right? Yeah. And you get yeah. to see his whole career, and then you got you get the opportunity to coach him twenty years later. I mean, what a full circle! experience but what what is it about greatness especially with kobe what did you see in the because i've heard you know we've talked about this before I've, seen, I've heard you do interviews you recognize something in that young fella at 18 years old that really came to fruition you know but can you remember back to that rookie season of his absolutely Andy. i remember yeah. this kid would be in the gym early mm -hmm. he'd be out there shooting in the forum before the lights were even on you know, mm -hmm. he's just shooting in the dark because I would come early because at that time I needed to get to practice early to get, you know, stretched and loose and all that stuff and treatment. <laughs> and I remember hearing the ball bounce and I would go on the court and I couldn't even see him until I walked all the way, you know, all the way out there and I could see Kobe down at the other end shooting, you know, mm -hmm. in the dark. And I would go and tell Gary Vitti, how long has this kid been here? <laughs> and he was like, oh, man, he, he got here when I got here. Yeah, you know? crazy. I said, we need to testify to turn the lights on at least, you know, when <laughs> it's light. But yeah. I, I saw it early that he was determined, dedicated. You know, his work ethic was unbelievable. At 18, you don't see 18-year-olds no. with that type of dedication. You know, that want to be in the gym 24-7. Or and doing anything at 18 that is, exactly. is so exactly. obsessed. Your, yeah, your mind is so scattered with so many other things. Yeah, I, I just knew from day one when I met him uh, that this kid was special. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how special until we, we started practicing and everything. And... During games, he would sit beside me and ask questions. And I was like, man, mark my words, y'all. I'm telling this kid's going to be unbelievable. And it, it made me feel and seem like a prophet because it came true. You know, it came to fruition that this kid was special. And he he outworked everybody along with having, you know, great talent as well. Yeah. So in your second year coaching in New Jersey, you end up in the finals <laughs> against Yeah. Your beloved Lakers yeah. can't even imagine the feelings of that. But you're coaching against the kid, against Kobe. You like you, 
I mean, did you have anything in your arsenal, in your toolbox that you could pull from how to stop this guy? No. <laughs> I mean, look, I knew, I knew the first game we were going to get blown out because when we walked in, when I walked on the court with, with my other coaches, yeah. Jordan, who's also a former Laker, you know, Michael Korn, I looked at them and I said, man, we in trouble tonight. Because <laughs> I, I saw our guys warming up and they were just kind of starstruck. You know, they yeah. were round. And I look back down at the Lakers, you know, they're warm up. They are focused. You know, they're not looking in the stands. Our guys first time ever being there. So they're looking in the stands and they just trounced us the first game. Yeah. The next three games, you know, we hung in there all the way to the fourth quarter. And then Kobe or Shaq or both would just take over. Yeah. And we really just didn't have enough to, to guard either one of those guys, you know, let, let alone. I mean, we had to double both. You know, if Kobe off of pick and rolls, we had to double Shaq. We had to double in the post. Yeah. Now you leave D fish, you know, Fox. Okay. Let's leave it there for now. That is the first part of the legends of sport interview. It's Andy Bernstein and Byron Scott, an amazing conversation uh, about not only his playing career, his coaching career. Uh, you know, he, he was really there for the beginning of Kobe's time with the Lakers as his teammate. And at the end of Kobe's uh, career um, as a player, when he was the head coach of the Lakers. So let's leave it there for now. When we come back, we'll be joined once again by Andy Bernstein and Byron Scott for Legends of Sport Friday right here on the Mightier 1090 in Southern California. The fan in Las Vegas, the Hawaii Sports Radio Network and the Sports Map Radio Network. We'll be right back with the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. what drives everyone to make the most of every moment we celebrate living large in the now in a city where time disappears we create experiences that electrify the soul and memories that will last forever we go big we go all night and here everyone is invited so get loose and get loud this is circa you'll have the time of your life This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Welcome back to the Arash Markazi Show presented by the Sporting Tribune on the Mightier 1090 in Southern California, the Fan in Las Vegas, the Hawaii Sports Radio Network, and the Sports Map Radio Network. Just as a reminder, if you have a question or comment, we just want to win tickets to an upcoming game in Southern California, Las Vegas, or Hawaii. Call our hotline 310-400-0340. It is... Legends of Sport Friday. And as we do every Friday, we talk to our main man. It's Andy Bernstein. Hey, Andy, how are you? Arash, good to see you, pal. I hope you had a good holiday. It was amazing, my friend. Um, I am yeah. so excited about your guest this week because the, the World Cup match, and I, and I don't care if you're a World Cup fan or a soccer fan. I mean, I think if you tuned into that game, it was high drama. But the man that we all are all familiar with, right? When a goal is scored in soccer, we all do this impersonation of the man. And if you don't know him, you know the voice. It's Andres Cantor. Tell me about the conversation you had with him. Well, you know, it's so interesting because, Arash, you know, we at Legends of Sport, we're not necessarily um, timely uh, in the sports calendar. I mean, we, we tend to want to be somewhat um, relevant uh, as to what's going on in the, in the sports calendar, but... 
we're not like about last night's game or last night's event or even what happened, you know, the week before. But, but I got to say that when we had, had the opportunity to, uh, to get Andres Cantor yeah. onto the podcast less than a week. I mean, I think it was three days after the, uh, after the world cup victory by Argentina, he had flown back to Miami from Qatar. I literally got wow. off the plane. I think we were the first interview that he did once he got to his house in Miami. Um, <laughs> excuse me. So I was thrilled, absolutely thrilled to have him up. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. By the way, so you were you were as emotional as he was. His, <laughs> I am so glad someone showed a clip of him when uh, uh, th they won the World Cup because um, Andres, listen, you you have to be impartial, I guess. But he's from Argentina, and when they yeah. won the World Cup, how emotional he got! That was such an amazing clip. Oh, it's amazing! Look, he. he I got to preface all this to say that I'm married to this fanatic. Argentinian <laughs> soccer fan. I mean, you, you can't say Argentinian in soccer without putting yeah. fanatic somewhere. So my wife, my stepdaughter, my mother-in-law came from Rosario, Argentina. We had a house full of people, you know, at seven o'clock in the morning watching this game. It was absolutely insanity in our house. And Andres, you know, is, is, is world famous. He's a hall of fame broadcaster. He's known throughout the world for his famous goal call. But, you know, here at Legends of Sport, we like to get a little deeper into the person, what made him tick, what got him started. And there's so many parallels and cross connections between all of us because uh, he grew up, went to high school where my kids go to high school, went to high school. Um, of course, he's from Argentina. And, you know, he grew up listening to the same voices that my wife listened to growing up, uh, who called soccer back in in Argentina. So this, this is just such a wonderful conversation. And, and one of the things we talked about, Arash, that was so fascinating to me and something that I can relate to very directly is that when there's a high pressure moment, you know, picture um, the bottom of the ninth inning of a World Series game and Kirk Gibson's coming up to bat or it's game seven of the NBA finals coming down to the wire and, you know, is Kobe going to take the last shot or what's going to happen? And, you know, Andres was in that same situation when it got to penalty kicks. And, you know, having to stay cool, calm, and collected, as he says, um, and call make the call to hundreds of millions of people, <laughs> you know, is fascinating to me. Because, again, I've sort of been in that same situation and having to do my job in a high-pressure cooker of a sporting event. So that was fascinating and learning how he started and, of course, living in L.A. as a teenager and listening to Chick Hearn oh, yeah. and Vince Scully and Bob Miller. Man, it was just a wonderful conversation. Before we, we play this clip, I, I've been talking to so many young photographers who want to do what you do. And the cool thing about it is that they can learn from you. Uh, talk about this workshop that you have planned. Oh, thanks, Arash. Yeah, we're, we're planning a workshop right now that's going to debut in June, but we're selling tickets, early bird tickets to it online. Uh, it's called Beyond the Lens, and it's a 12-part live masterclasses, as we like to say. It's, you know, masterclasses are great, but you buy a prepackaged kind of, um, you know, class with somebody, and you don't get to ask questions. And in our workshop, you'll be able to ask wow. questions you know, over 12 weeks. So folks can go to beyondthelens.live, that's beyondthelens.live, and uh, sign up, and it, it's going to be super fun. It's really fun for me. We're 
spent a lot of time putting this together, a lot of effort into it. And uh, it's going to go beyond just the typical, you know, how do you become a sports photographer? Not going to be teaching really the nuts and bolts of photography. We're going to be teaching about business, about life, about the Mamba mentality, about a lot of things that, that make somebody successful. Love it. With that being said, let's now go to the conversation. It's Andy Bernstein. It's on the Riscontor. It is Legends of Sport Friday. Well, welcome, Andres Cantor, to the Legends of Sport podcast, man. I can't tell you how special and wonderful this is for us to get together. You're just getting off a plane from Qatar, right? That is right. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, my God. Well, we have we have a lot to talk about and not a lot of time, but I, I got to tell you, we have so many parallels and cross connections here. My kids go to San Marino High School where you went, right? Uh-huh. Born and raised. My my daughter plays soccer there. My son was on the on the newspaper where you worked. My wife is Argentinian uh, from Rosario. So um, I got to tell you, man, as an honorary Argentinian, uh, we were going nuts on Sunday, as you could imagine. I think I sent you the I sent Eva the um, the video of the celebration in our house, which was off the chart. I saw it. Yeah. So most importantly, I want to find out about you and how you started and your journey. You know, Legends of Sport, over six years, my friend, we've interviewed some amazing people and everybody has a story. Everybody has a beginning where they started sort of a pivotal moment in their life, right? I mean, obviously, I went through your bio. Uh, I tried to get as familiar as I could with you, but can you just kind of summarize, you know, how you ended up in the Los Angeles area, you and your family and, and your journey into this Hall of Fame occupation that you have? Sure. Well, my parents um, both were professional physicians. My mm-hmm. dad, a gastroenterologist, uh, my mom, a psychologist. Um, mm-hmm. They left Argentina during the hard harsh uh, military junta days of uh, the Mm, mm -hmm. mid-70s. My dad received the scholarship at UC Davis in Sacramento Mm -hmm. and then moved uh, a year later to Los Angeles Mm -hmm. to start a private practice and and worked as uh, chief of staff of um, the Huntington Memorial Hospital. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ended up being chief of staff after many, many years. Um, so I grew up basically, you know, in, in LA, attended San Marino High my senior year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to say I was the best soccer player of the team. Soccer was just beginning uh-huh. uh, as, a, as a sport uh, yeah. in those days. Yeah. I became the sports editor of the newspaper Titan News. Right. Uh, it was crazy, Andrew, because uh, I played. In the in the matches and yeah. wrote, uh, you know the the reports of the game <laughs> with my with my bio by Andres Cantor and then, you know the best player of the pitch was Andres Cantor. That's hilarious. It was kind of, it, it was kind of weird, <laughs> right? But uh, uh, you know, I always knew I wanted to be a journalist. Mm. So my lucky break really came uh, in February of 1987 when they called me for an audition at SIN, mm-hmm. the old Spanish International Network, or what later became Univision. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had never set foot in a TV studio before, 
And the person who ended up hiring me called me and said, you know, I have great referrals from you. I was working, I had been working for a while as a correspondent for a big uh, sports magazine in Argentina called El Grafico, which mm -hmm. is huge. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, they had seen me around, uh, you know, boxing matches in Vegas, mm. the friendly matches in, in L.A., And the guy tells me, um, I ask, you know, what's the audition about? And the guy says, well, bring two suits, uh, two shirts, and two ties. We're going to tape two games, uh, and they will air, you know, in the next couple of weekends. Uh-huh. Yeah. I say, what? <laughs> uh, that's the audition? I mean, you're going to put me on air without But, knowing, you know, whether I'm good or bad? Yeah, right. Um, I guess he did. Yeah. We... We taped the first game. I did color commentary. Uh -huh. Took a break for lunch. I remember we went to a, a local Burger King. Mm -hmm. And in the middle of lunch, he goes, you know what? It, I can tell you know a lot about soccer, but... And then, you know, after the coma, I thought, you know, thank you very much. <laughs> he was going to say, thank you very much, uh, yeah. but I don't know, whatever. <laughs> so he goes, but... We're really looking for a play-by-play -play announcer because, uh, you know, we don't have one. Yeah. Do you, you, do you think you can do play-by-play -play in the next game? Mm -hmm. I was 23, and yeah. well, what, what was I going to say? <laughs> sure. Yeah. And um, I guess he liked my work in that second game because he offered me a full-time job within a couple of weeks wow that's fantastic and, and and who did you learn from i mean you, your job takes tremendous amount of, pre of preparation um you know research uh, i mean did you, were you just winging it at that point or were well, you the, you know the, the first game obviously the first few months mm -hmm. uh, i guess i was learning just on the on the go yeah uh, you know i had the year as, as you probably yeah. know mm -hmm. Uh, way back in my days in Argentina, we all listened to the old transistor radio. So yeah. I had the music to, you know, to the play-by-play, -play, right. mostly of radio announcers. Yeah. yeah. But I had uh, no experience whatsoever. So <laughs> uh, I just, you know, I guess I learned the trick of the trade yeah. by just you know, repetition and doing it. Mm. And, and again, you, you mentioned the word research. Mm-hmm. You have to remember that way back then, research was very hard to get mm -hmm. because there was no internet, mm -hmm. uh, there was no Google search. Mm -hmm. So I had to, you know, whenever I did games, I had to go to the international newsstands and find, mm. you know, newspapers from all over the world and, and you know, mm. clip, yeah. you know, the information that I needed. Mm -hmm. uh, so I guess, you know, uh, I, you could say I'm a self-taught play-by-play uh, -play announcer. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. You know, I I know that when you were growing up in L.A., in the L.A. area, and that you were privileged, as I, I have been, to be around some of the greatest announcers in sports in history, right? Chick Hearn, Ben Scully, Bob Miller. I mean, it doesn't get better than that, right? So how much of your style do you feel that you got from listening to those guys growing up? Because you talk about, you know, listening to Jose Munoz, I guess, in, in Buenos Aires, right. in um, Argentina uh -huh. growing up. My wife talks about how 
her dad would be washing the car and listening to the soccer matches, you know. But once you got to L.A. and you got to be around and listen to these incredible voices, I want to know how that influenced you. Um, I, I'm not sure it, it did. Mm-hmm. Um, I did listen to Chick Hearn and, and Vince Coley, mm-hmm. uh, obviously. Uh, I liked basketball. I liked the way Chick Hearn uh, called the basketball games. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's a different language altogether. Um, and I don't know if I have any influence other than the way, you know, they, I mean, Vince Coley put poetry into every broadcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chick Hearn, you know, had great lines that, you know, I, I don't know how he came up with those. Yeah. None, of, none, of us, not, none of us do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but nothing that I do, um, is you know pre yeah pre-rehearsed or anything they you know everything is very spontaneous Mm -hmm. so obviously i I like them a lot but i'm not sure they you know they did influence Mm -hmm. part of my of my style i want to go back to that moment when first of all that game was absolutely insane i mean i've been to some pretty incredible games you know kirk gibson's home run Game sevens of the NBA Finals. I've covered forty NBA Finals. I've seen a lot, right? But, oh. but I, you know, I was feeling it emotionally, <laughs> and my wife and all our friends and and my mother in law is visiting from Rosario. I mean, it's like was wacky. But you have to do your job, right? Uh, like people ask me this all the time. You know, it's high tension moment, pressure. There's a lot going on. There's the last, you know, Kobe takes a last second shot in the NBA Finals. I mean, the last thing I ha- I can do is watch that happen, right? You you have to watch it. You have to report on it. You have to be coherent, <laughs> right? Which you were. Um, you know, go back to that moment. What did you know? I saw your Today Show interview. You were very eloquent about it. But you know, just like reflecting now after a couple of days, how did, how can you view that? Well, it's. Um I, I would add to your very good description that I have to try to choose the right words while I'm doing a very intense, emotional mm-hmm. play-by-play of, of a final of that kind. Right. Uh, I'm going to share with you something that uh, even though Argentina is already the world champions, uh, it still gives me chills. and. I expressly went, you know, as soon as I got home, I I did not watch the entire match. I watched, I watched like 20 minutes of the first half mm-hmm. in between the two goals. I wanted to see how how they were. Yeah. But I went expressly to, you know, I fast forwarded to the minute 122. Yeah. Yeah. Because I remember vividly, and it gives me chills, honestly. Yeah. I was processing the Argentina loss when I see Colo on a breakaway, one-on-one, uh. the big goal, yeah. and the Argentine goalkeeper. I'm saying, we're going to lose this. I'm dying inside, and I am mentally preparing my biggest call mm. of the entire tournament because if it would have gone in, mm. end of game, France would have been world champion. Right. And then suddenly, in my play-by-play, I say, France is going to win it. Really? And then Martinez with his <laughs> left 
foot or whatever, his, or leg. His, his toe, yeah. It's a miraculous, miraculous save. And mm. it was just uh, incredible. Yeah. And and then, you know, overtime came and we go up 3-2, Argentina goes up 3-2, and they tie it, you know, with six minutes. Uh. And then the penalty shootout, it's always, you know. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's a crapshoot, right? It's a lottery. Yeah. And, um, you know, I... I had to be as composed as I could uh, until Montiel put his foot on the ball. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I, I saw which way it was going because yeah. even though I had the, the sense and everyone knew that if he converted the PK, Argentina was a champion. Mm. If, he, if he did not, mm-hmm. France had another chance. So I had to be, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. cool down and collected for the next Right, uh, right. Play by play of the PK. Yeah. So when he converted the the penalty, I just couldn't hold it anymore. It was just like yeah, you probably wanted to like rip off your headset and just run around the press box, you know. But I, I could imagine just like because I saw you got up, you got down, you grabbing your partner. It's like you, it's like, you, but you're still on the air. You're talking to tens of millions of hundreds of millions of people. So well, well, doing your you, job. You know that my goal. You know that my goal goal is very. Uh, um, very upbeat here it wasn't a, a goal mm. goal yep. it was you know a penalty yes and then you know the the end of the world cup mm. yeah. crowning a new champion yeah so and and obviously i had uh some emotional involvement in it yeah um you know everyone knows that of course I'm from argentina that yeah. i die for mm. my national team and for my team boca juniors yeah yeah um and you know whatever happened happened so let me ask you this how do you how do you possibly top that in your career i mean you know you've done this a long time i mean you're still doing i mean i read you do like 120 games a year which you know at the peak i was doing about that many but i've tailed back a lot in my career and we're about Mm -hmm. the same age and been doing this a long time i mean how do you how you know how do you get ready for next season after this unbelievable experience? Well, um, you know, soccer is my life. Mm-hmm. That is the truth. Yeah. Uh, I go back on air uh, on Monday the 26th for Boxing Day on, on Telemundo and Peacock. Hey. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm not going to get too much of a break, not for now anyways. Right. And I'm really looking forward. It's going to be weird because usually after World Cups in the summer, you know, you have a lengthy break to process everything and to like yeah, yeah, exactly. voice especially. Yes, uh, because it was grueling. It was really a grueling month because mm. of everyone got sick over there. Yeah, but um, you know what? How do I top it? Yeah, by yelling Argentina campeón in twenty twenty six. So this is Argentina's third World Cup victory. You had this great reunion with your son in the press box. Do you think that that you know you'll be around to call the next Argentina World Cup win, maybe four years from now, or who knows? You know, you think you three, three and a half. The good thing is three and uh, a half. That's right. all right. That's all the time we have for today. Let's do it again next week. Until then, this is Arash Markazi saying, stay safe and stay healthy. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.